This week on Our Thing. And totally unexpectedly, I was shocked at what I saw. Special guest and ex-Mafia soldier, Larry Mazza. Here's Nicky Black, I blurted out. I was so close to him, I could have smacked him in the mouth. Discusses his jaw-dropping autobiography, titled The Life. Instead, I raised my riot control shotgun. I leaned out the window and pointed the barrel at the back of Nicky's Mr. Clean-style head. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is Our Thing, with America's favorite ex-gangster, Gunner. 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 What's up? Welcome to Our Thing Atlanta, global on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and others. Welcome to our show. For two years, we had our show out of Detroit, but now we're in Atlanta, a bigger market and a better platform, better station on 1010 The King. As a flagship show, we're going to have a really great guest come on later on, Larry Mazza. You're going to really like this guy. He's a former gangster, mafia, Colombo crime family hitman. Amazing story. Just unbelievable. His story's been made into a television series. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Gunnar Allen Lindblom. Actually, my name is Alan Gunnar Lindblom. And a little about me, right, so you have an idea who I am. And my partner, Bill Crooks. Bill, say hello. Salud. Salud. Bill Crooks from Partners in Crime Podcast. Make sure to check that out. I am a guy who is an author today. I also own Art Thing Apparel, artthingapparel.com. Check it out. And I have a pretty interesting story. So one of the things that you'll learn from me is I'm a natural born storyteller and I'll share a bunch of stories from my life and we'll get into all kinds of interesting stories. And we're going to have all kinds of interesting characters on the show, people, friends, people working in entertainment, writers, a lot of authors. But my story, just so you know, have a little bit of backstory about me. I grew up in Detroit and basically my family was the mafia. It's a, it's a kind of a tricky thing. I, my immediate family wasn't the mafia. Like my grandfather grew up, his cousin was the boss of the Detroit mafia. They were friends. They went to grade school together, elementary school together, did everything together. All the mafia lived in a small contained like community in a couple square mile radius of Gross Point, Michigan. And that was his family, cousins, aunts, uncles, whatever. And then later on in life, I was born to my mother, Grace Carmela Toko. And she was mentally ill, so she was mentally sick. My dad was an abusive, drunk, alcoholic. They divorced when I was four, and I went and lived with my grandparents in Gross Point, Michigan. And I was subject to these people. I was around, like, mafiosos all my life, as far back as I can remember. These, you know, men in suits and pulling up in Cadillacs, big pinky rings, cigars, speaking in Sicilian. Just like in the movies, well, that's what I grew up around. I was around it. And then, to make matters worse, I was just a really bad kid. Constantly fighting, getting kicked out of school, a spell, just disruptive. I was just a bad kid. So nobody knew that I was this extreme right brain, like, creative type, which I'd later in life end up writing 10 novels. And we'll get to that in a second. But anyways, I ended up expelled from school when I was 14 years old, or 15, really, permanently. And then I took the, the streets, started selling drugs and got into other crimes and rackets. And basically, if you name any crime or racket or scam or hustle, I was involved in it to some degree at, at any point in my life between ages 14 and 29. At age 29, I ended up in prison for 13 to 50 years. They sent me away for extortion, bank robbery, arm robbery, and, and I was just a really bad dude. That's just the things that I got caught for. Obviously, it was 99% of the stuff they did it was undocumented, and I got away with a lot of bad stuff. Not proud of, but... Just to set the stage for the comeback is when I go to prison, I say, I'm done with that life. I never enjoyed that life. I never liked being that guy. I was a you know a tough guy in the neighborhood, always fighting and knocking mother effers out. I was always in some drama, robbing drug dealers. I robbed banks. And just anything to make a buck. I robbed the Myers on Christmas Day. I walked in by myself with a gun and robbed the place, had him open the safe. But I have to interject. When people hear for the first time that you robbed the Myers at Christmas, 
Now, hang on. Let me set the mood. There we go. Yeah. They have to know, were you dressed like Santa Claus? Oh, my God. That would have been a great thing to do. I mean, for a story to tell. But no, no. It was kind of an inside job how I ended up doing that. There was a girl who worked there that I knew, and she told me where the money is and how they have the Brinks trucks come in a couple times a day. And the only way to open the safe, you have to have both managers present. One has a comm and one has a key. If they're both not there, they can't open it. So I tried to time it based on her intel to where it would have been about a quarter million dollars. Because about every time I got up to like a quarter million dollars, which is like a half a day in Myers, then I get it. But I just went in there like 20 minutes after the Brinks truck took off with all the money. So I only ended up with like 49,000 bucks or something. But believe me, I was a happy camper. You know what I mean? That's not a bad day's work. No, man. and then I rented a... Not that I condone that in any way, shape, Dude, you know what I did? I ended up buying 10 pounds of weed and I rented a hotel room and I freaking rolled up a blunt and, and like watched some Netflix what I did on Christmas Day, bro. Like, my girl's like, you're going to come to my family party? I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to sit right here and smoke this blunt and veg out with my $49,000 I did this rob. But it's a horrible thing because I scared the crap out of these people. You know, you walk into the office. I pretended that I was a loss prevention guy is what I did. I walked in and said, listen, I'm from loss prevention. We need to talk. You, you have somebody that's, you know, stealing. And they're like, what, what? And then they didn't know. They just thought I was from loss prevention from corporate. And I walked in there, pulled a gun and said, call the other manager in here right now and if you do anything stupid you know how this ends so they she walks in and shut the door we're down by the bottom they were freaking out and the first guy goes she's the one stealing <laughs> right yeah yeah by that point i had a gun on him so he knew but it's like here's the thing i said one of you are going to walk out with me and no one's going to call the cops until that person comes back now he looked at her i said no bro it's you i'm not bringing the woman you're a man you're coming so you're going to walk out with me so we walked out the whole time I'm going, dude, you're going to be home with your family. You're going to have a story to tell. You're not going to have to worry about it. You're going to go back to the store in 20 minutes. You're going to call the cops. You have a story to tell your family. No big deal. The money's insured. You're going to be fine. Don't do anything stupid and nothing bad's going to happen to you. So we walked like around the corner. When we got around the corner, I said, all right, you can go back now. And then I walked around another corner and that's where I had a crash car waiting, like, like a burner car, you know what I'm saying, that I'd stolen. And I stole it. I stole the car. This is the type of stories you're going to hear on this show, believe it or not. I have a million of these freaking stories, but I stole the car by walking in with a shirt and tie on to a little used car dealership, right? And I walked out a fake ID and I said, listen, I'd like to test drive this car. And they're like, oh, okay. Sometimes they don't even ask for the ID, but they did, but it was a fake ID. So it didn't matter. They make a copy of it, you know? And they put the dealer plate on and say, yeah, I said, I'll be back in five minutes. I want to make sure this car works. When you're wearing a shirt and tie, they're not thinking nothing. And then I just leave and go home. I park the car in the backyard and <laughs> then drove around doing crime with it for a week or two and then sold it to some drug dealers for 500 bucks. That's the kind of guy I was, unfortunately. Um, that's how bad I was. But I'm not that guy anymore. Trust me. So that's how I ended up in this position today. So I go to prison. I said, I'm done with this. I don't want this life. I'm in the hole. 17 months in solitary confinement. I got beat up by the cops there, and I'm bloody, and I'm bludgeoned, and, and I, I picked up a letter that my grandmother wrote me, my grandma Toko, and she said, you write the most beautiful letters, you should be a writer. And I started thinking, hey, I could be a writer. I like to read. I love reading. I've always been a big reader, which is weird, being a kind of a gangster and a street guy. I used to read novels all the time. I'd like escape my reality by reading a fantasy novel. And so I ended up starting to write, and I started writing these novels, and they turned out to be really good. They turned out to be really good. In fact, all the guys in prison who were reading them were like, Oh my God, bro. These are amazing. They would say to me, like, dude, why are you in prison, bro? Like, you should be collecting Oscars. You should be a multimillionaire in a mansion in Beverly Hills. How the hell do you end up in prison, you 
dummy. And I'm like, you know, I was, I was a dummy. You know, I kind of knew I had a gift, but I didn't know how to utilize it or harness it. So here I am with you. I'm an idiot too. So anyways, I started writing these novels and here's where it gets really interesting. About six years in to my prison sentence, a friend of mine started a Facebook page for me. This is in 2009. I didn't even know what Facebook was. I've been in prison for six years. He posted some sample chapters of one of my books. The books that I just finished was really one book called To Be a King. Now it's cut into two volumes, volume one and two, but it was all one story. And he put sample chapters on Facebook and said, anyone want to read it, you know, comment, whatever, whatever. And so people started writing me fan mail, uh, saying this book was a nice godfather, just calling me the Mario Puzo. And one random chick that I'd never heard of happened to go to my high school, saw my Facebook profile, and you know, saw that I was a Christian too. That's very important because I put on my profile that I was Christian, and she was a new Christian. She'd been raised Muslim, and now she was a Christian. And she saw that I was a Christian and a writer. Well, she happened to work for a publisher in New York. She worked in academic publishing, but she had friends that worked in commercial publishing. And so ultimately, this chick said, I'd be happy to read your manuscript. The sample chapters are really good. So I said, awesome. I had a friend turn it into a PDF file. I had him send her the manuscript. She blew through the 1,100-page manuscript in three days. She wrote me an email, and I'll never forget the words. She said, you're a unicorn, dude. She's like, I've been reading my whole life. I'm reading is my life. I had a a scholarship in in high school for for literary. She's like, I I just, I don't know. She worked at a bookstore in high school. And she's like, I've been publishing for 10 years. I'm a huge reader. She said, this is the best book I've ever read. I'm not blowing smoke. I'm telling you this is the best book. I want to help you get this book published. Incredible story, incredible writing, unbelievable. So we started writing and we became friends and like pen pals and writing and got closer and closer and then began to flirt a little bit and got to know each other. And and we really had everything in common. We saw the world through the same lens, uh, same political views, ideology, religious. We love the same things, the outdoors and animals and da, 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 da. And next thing you know, we're full blown falling in love. We fell in love. So me and this woman, like, what do we do now? She's like, I would wait 20 years for you. I believe you're worth it. I believe you're that special. And I'm in love with you. And what do we do? So I said, all right, well, did you marry me? She said, yes. Now, this is all through letters, by the way. So we're writing letters. We've never seen each other, never spoke to each other on the phone, never seen each other on a visit. And I said, well, did you marry me? She said she would. I said, well, I don't want to get married in prison. So we'll just get engaged and wait till I get out. So she waits six and a half years for me to get home. And I get out. Some of my boys pick me up. They hand me some gifts and an iPhone. Two of my boys drive me five hours away where my girl got us a house out in the wilderness because she said, where do you want to live when you get out? I said, I want to live out in the wilderness, away from people, out in the country, you know, where it's quiet and peaceful. Or I'm tired of people. I've been in prison for 13 years. I spent 13.3 years in prison and I'm around people. I don't want to be around dummies anymore. I don't want to have to deal with people because I'm tired of like almost smashing somebody's head in every day. I just don't want to deal so she got us a house out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, waited all these years for me by herself. She didn't have a dog and the gun, the dog, nothing. This, this poor girl, this 35-year-old, cute little wholesome nerd chick, right, waiting out there. So I get home. We get married the very next day. I get baptized in Lake Huron 20 minutes after I'm married, and we launch our life together. And we have this amazing, beautiful life, tons of fun and camp and whatever. And then nine months later, I published my books, To Be a King. And they shot really quickly to like the top of the genre. Not the number one in the genre, but I think at one point, it was number three in the genre. But that was when I like did a deal where I was giving away the ebook for like a buck or something. But the book itself, I think, peaked at number 28 in the genre, a mafia genre. There's a huge genre. Godfather was number one, obviously. And so people were around the world were going, dude, this guy wrote the next Godfather, bro. This is the Godfather of our generation. You know, this guy's the next Mario Puzo who, who actually wrote the Godfather. And so I ended up launching an apparel 
line called Arting Apparel. It's kind of a mafia-inspired gangster urban athletic wear line of gear, kind of throwback track suits and stuff like that. And anyways, I started living my life, ended up with a radio show a couple years ago in Detroit, and then I brought Bill on because Bill is a true crime expert, and he hosts a Partners in Crime podcast. I actually met him because he did an amazing podcast on me. He's like a five-part series he did on me. It's amazing. And I, he's such a good like host and like talker and perfect radio voice, super smart. If you ever seen the movie Pulp Fiction where they call the guy the fixer and he comes in and like, cleans things up and fixes it, that's who this guy is. So I'm like, dude, be my co-host. Come on with me and let's do a segment of the show called Street Beats, True Crime Corner. And he comes on and he reports on the latest news in the underworld, what's happening in the cartels. What's happening with the mafia in Sicily, with the biker gang, whatever. Looks like we got to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back. It's our thing. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. Have you ever met a single person in your life that enjoys paying taxes? No, no one does. If you can't sleep at night because you have a huge problem with the IRS, I've got some free advice for you. This service is strictly limited to individuals that owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes. And if you qualify, we can guarantee that you won't be writing a big fat check to the IRS or our services cost you nothing. The first 100 people that call today will get a free tax consultation worth $500. Stop worrying about your IRS problem. We can help you. We promise. Call the tax doctor right now. I mean right now to learn more. 800-322-8714. 800-322-8714. That's 800-322-8714. Welcome back. As I was saying before the break, I'm a nerd. I'm a writing nerd. I'm surrounded by books right now in my office, and I got books from all these authors who have been on my shows. So I'm a book writing nerd. I'm into the art of storytelling, the art of writing a story, aggregating it from your mind, however you go about doing that. And then what was the story behind the story? Every single book has a story behind the story. You just don't sit down and go, I'm going to write a book. No, there's a story. I'm like, right here, I'm looking at a book. It's called Gangsters versus Nazi. Penguin Publishing sent this to me because I was promoting one of their authors, Pulitzer Prize winning author named Sandra Petty, who I actually interviewed. And she read my books, just for the record. This Pulitzer Prize winning author read both of my books and called me. And she goes, how is this not a movie already? Her exact words, how is this not a movie, bro? Right. And anybody can read the reviews. They're all five star. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. If you Google his book, everybody says this. Yeah, thank you. And I, so it's not just me selling an ugly baby. The, the fans are pretty consistent with the accolades and, and the lauding. But anyways, I'm, I'm looking at this book called Gangster vs. Nazi. Well, there's a story behind that. If I had the guy, Michael Benson, on the show and said, you know, tell me the story behind the story, he's going to say something like, well, uh, it was about Jewish mobsters battled Nazis in wartime America. 
He's going to say, well, my grandfather was a Jewish guy who was a gangster in New York, and he's going to get into this whole story about how his story came to be. That's why he wrote the book. And I love that, and I love hearing about it, and I think it's very fun to talk about the book. And I just like getting into the stories that nobody gets to hear, you know, and they see a book. Oh, there's a book. There's a story in the book, and you read it. But wait a minute. There's a story behind the story. Let's hear that and hear about the story from the perspective of the author. Bill is a guy who does mad research on subjects of true crime and gangsters and it's one of his passions. That's what you do, right, Bill? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, but team us up together and we have a lot of fun. And, you know, we had Louis Lombardi from The Sopranos. We'd have RVD, Rob Van Dam, the Hall of Fame WWE wrestler. We've had numerous Pulitzer winners like Sandra Petty and Tony DiCifano. My next guest next week is going to be Seth Ferrante, 27 years in prison. At one point, he was the number two guy in America's Most Wanted because he faked his own death. But anyways, he turned it on him, wrote some books in prison, and then he actually she made the Netflix series White Boy Rick. I'm friends with White Boy Rick. I might be able to get him on the show. He doesn't like to do shows, but I think I might be able to get him on. Regardless, Seth Ferrante produced this documentary and it went viral on Netflix and got 14 million downloads in like 10 days. So this guy's super interesting guy. These are the type of people we're going to have on the show. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Don't forget we're going to have JC Capone on pretty soon who's just coming out with that movie Reptile. Yes. Our friend JC Capone, he has Parkinson's disease, right? He's got a great stories. We'll get into that and how he woke up one day with Parkinson's disease, but he didn't let it ruin his life. He just kept moving and going. And we had some interviews with him and talking. He's a New York guy, straight New York, hey, straight old school Italian New York guy, really nice, humble, sweet guy, right? Well, he ended up getting a part in a movie. We have a lot of ex-gangsters on the show. And that's just because the nature of Bill's business and partners in crime podcast and also the nature of my past history. Ori Spado is another one we'll have. And we, that doesn't mean we're limited to just true crime and ex-mobsters. We just happen to know a bunch of them because we work in that circle. You know, these writers and these ex-gangsters. So they have books and we've had them on and we had conversations and interviewed with them. But I mean, I don't care if somebody writes a fantasy book. I mean, I, I'm into like any kind of story. I'm, I'm down with it. Right. There's just there's so many stories out there. Even Ori Spado, like I said, he's an amazing story. And people can be interesting. Yeah, they don't have to be mob guys for us. To yeah, 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 exactly. I can't really say much about the TV series I'm involved with. I can't tell you the story because there hasn't been an official press release. But I am involved with the TV project that involves Armand Asante, the Emmy Award winning. I don't know if he won a Golden Globe, but he'd been nominated for a bunch of Golden Globe. I'm not sure if he won one. He may have. Armand Asante did win for Gotti in 96. Oh, he did? Cool. Thank you for looking that up, my master tech guy. But very super, incredibly talented actor. He's become a friend of mine. I spent three days at his house twice. So six days I spent with him at his home in New York. He's an incredible homies. So, yeah, well, I was at his house and I remember seeing these Golden Globe plaques, right? I did pick up his Emmy and took a bunch of, like, selfies with it. <laughs> <laughs> I even took a selfie with his director chair for Gotti, the movie Gotti. It's like his chair with his name, Gotti embroidered. He probably got it after the fact. But I like posed with it with, with an Emmy with it. But I saw like six different nominations for the Golden Globes, but I don't recall seeing his Golden Globe. It probably was right there because he's got a, like 50 awards are on this shelf. It's, it's covered in awards, you know what I'm saying? And I, was, I didn't know which one was which. I just recognized the Emmy, so I snatched it up. I'm like, what's up? And like, he wasn't even there. I was walking around his house, like, you know, taking photos, like selfies with all kinds of crap, videoing his house all over his house, man. But we want to hear something funny, though, Bill, about that. Because I got to know this guy really good. We're good friends, right? But I did notice one thing. At night, when we went to bed, his house is big. The door that connects to the part where his bedroom is, he locked it. 
<laughs> I bet he put a chair in there. <laughs> he jammed right? a chair into the dock. Okay, they'll go down there in the morning and I grab it. It's locked. I'm like, why well, he's got to lock me out. He locked himself. But you know what? He told me a story about how he he had a guy over his house one time that he trusted enough to come over. Some investor who's a movie producer supposedly was going to do a movie and you know millions of dollars. Da, da, da. And the guy ended up stealing his Rolex, bro. This guy stole his right. Armando Sante invites you into his guy's home and you steal his Rolex. Like what kind of scumbag does that? Right. You know? Yeah. And it's probably fair to say you didn't pass the background check. Oh, me. Right. It's fair to say. Yeah. My background <laughs> check is not pretty, but here's the thing. Anybody who follows me now, they can look at my social media imprint, go to my Facebook albums. And I have an outdoors album. I have all these travel albums, New York, whatever. You can see, I live a very wholesome, quiet, fun life. I got six chickens, five cats, a wife. I live on a 20-acre homestead in northern Michigan. I'm obsessed with trout fishing, deer hunting, salmon fishing. That's what I do. I work incessantly. Like I, I work nonstop. I work 12, 14 hours a day. And you know, I don't even make that much money based on the amount of work I put in. But it's like a long-term thing where you know you're gonna work hard now and not make much, but at some point you'll have a big payout and then you can take care of everybody. That's how I look at it. And I do it for Bill. I do it for his kids. I do it for my wife. I do it for a couple of my friends. That's it, really. I work so hard because, like I said, I'm a simple man. Put a trout fishing reel and rod in my hand and a, and a tin of worms. I'm the happiest man on earth. That's all I need. But when I look at Bill going to work every day, working his, you know, nine to five, and you know, and his kids, like I want to put the kid through Harvard. I was, I want to be able to provide my wife, like she loves gardening, right? But you know, she's working now. I want to be able to say, here, build the biggest garden you want and grow whatever you want, do whatever you want, you know, and do some traveling. I would love to travel with Bill and his family where we just go, hey, listen, we're going to go to Italy for a week or two and then like rent Lamborghinis, right? And drive up and down the coast of like Italy along the Mediterranean state at little villas and Airbnbs and like eat the good food, meet the people, hear the stories behind each little town. That's my dream. And that's why I work so hard. It doesn't have to be Lamborghinis and it could be Corvettes. I'm just saying yeah, absolutely. And you know, Il Parle Italiano, Piccolo. Yeah, aren't you learning? Aren't you learning Italiano? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. How do you say a little bit? Piccolo. Capone called me on that the other day, and I kind of spoke a little Italian. I said, I speak a little, which is Piccolo, right? And he's like, yeah, your brain's Piccolo. <laughs> Who said that, JC? Yeah. JC said that? That's funny. Man. You don't speak no Italian. Yeah, no, I would love that. That's a, one of my life regrets, because I grew up in a household that spoke Sicilian as their first language. And so, like, my mother spoke to her parents in Sicilian more than she spoke English. So they like a dummy, you know, you're a kid, you're, you're second generation, whatever. You don't care. Like why everybody around me spoke Sicilian, all the older generations of everybody I interacted with, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, they all spoke Sicilian. And like a dummy, you would have thought I would have learned it. But of course I didn't. And all of us kids, my age, none of us learned it. None of us but back then you could understand it a little bit. Like, as they were talking about you and you hear your name, like Alonzo, your name, or you, you hear, certain words you pick it up and you can understand it but if you really want to be like surreptitious you would hear what they say then you'd run in the next room and ask your uncle what does this mean you know and repeat what they said and you go oh it means that you know and they figure it out but whenever like mob guys came around and let's see my grandpa they would go in the back room that's how i always knew they were doing surreptitious stuff they'd speak in front of the women in the kitchen have coffee food cannolis you know whatever bignolata but then all of a sudden, my grandma would say, hey, let's go, you know, go in the fan room and you know, watch the game or something. They shut the door and you can hear them in there speaking in Sicilian. I'm like, something's up over there. But I never knew what the hell it was. And I think my grandfather, to be perfectly honest, he was a little bit ashamed about the fact that everybody knew his association with the mafia. Not the Italians, 
but the people who weren't associated. So he would go through life. He owned a business, a big business. He had a produce and food company that he supplied food to Detroit public schools for 25 years. So he dealt with a lot of people who weren't in part of the, quote, community. And of course, when he says, I'm Pete Toko, they automatically they had a connotation of the mafia. And he didn't like it. I think he was a little ashamed of the fact that wherever he went, if he said his name, people thought he was this mobster. So he tried to project that they donated a lot of money to the churches and, and charities and did these you know, high society events. But he couldn't get around it. The fact was, you know, his cousins were all freaking mafioso and his uncles were. And his, and even my I think my great grandfather on my grandma's side was a mafioso. I'm not positive, but all of his gumbadis, all his buddies were all like high level freaking prohibition era mobsters. And the guy came from Sicily, didn't speak a word of English. And within like four years, he was like a millionaire. Yeah. So possibly not a coincidence that he was being awarded major food contracts. Just saying. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandpa, sure, sure. There's, there's no, there's no way on earth that my grandfather could have got that contract and maintained it 25 years without the help of the mafia. There's no, it's not even a, those type of contracts went to the mob. That's it. There's nobody else got them. They controlled the Eastern Market in Detroit, which is Detroit's Little Italy. All the food, you know, distribution came out of the Eastern Market in Detroit. My grandfather had one of the biggest businesses in the Eastern Market. He provided food for these schools. You don't get that contract. I'm sure he was paying a kickback, probably to his cousin, which was Jack Toko. He probably, at, I don't know, maybe once a year on Christmas, he'd send him a bag of money, you know, or an envelope of money. Maybe it was once a week. I don't know. Uh, it wasn't my business, but he interacted with them all the time, coming and going, coming and going, going to the house, meet them at their business, go to the, meet them here, do this, da, da, da. Anyways, and I was around that all my life. So, But I'll get into that, and I'll get into some some crazy stories. But also... Bill has some crazy stories. Bill is a character, man. You guys got to learn this guy. First of all, let me just make this clear. Bill is the guy that we all wanted to be like in high school. Everybody liked him. He was handsome. He was good looking. He was athletic. He was a tough guy. But he wasn't a bully or douchebag. He was just the funny guy like you wanted to hang out and party with. He was that guy. And the dude, he's gone through freaking life. Like he's walked through the minefields of life and somehow he's still here. He could have easily ended up dead. He could have easily ended up in prison. He could have easily ended up just a, a bad person. But he ended up a good guy with a beautiful family, a great career. And, you know, it started a little late in life because he was a party animal. But he was the guy that you wanted to party with. If you were into partying, drinking sure. and other things, sure. you wanted to hang out sure. with Bill. Because everybody wanted to be around Bill. The good-looking girls, they were around Bill. guy like me, I would have looked at Bill and be like, man, this is a, I wish I could be more like him. You wouldn't have wanted to be me, though. And there's certainly guys more handsome and more popular than me. But, you know, through the grace of God, I've been blessed. Yeah. And they say God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Apparently, I can't handle much because <laughs> he gave me an easy ride. <laughs> <laughs> He's given you a lot. You're still living the dream, man. You know, you're an engineer for a big company that makes cabinets and things like that. But he's a, the tech guru. But again, I call him the wolf. But he's, he's a fixer. He's the guy who gets it done, man. He figures it out. There's so many things that I can't do, which is embarrassing because with regard to this show and the editing, and he's actually doing the narration for my volume two of my book, To Be a King, which, by the way, make sure to check out my books, To Be a King. I'm just going to plug them again on Amazon, five-star review. But, like, there's so many little things that I can't do that Bill just is like, bang, I got it. And he fixes it. He edits it. He you know, figures it out. And I feel like lesser of a man sometimes oh, because on, I, can, I can't. Dude, I'm not that good at much, you know? I mean, <clears throat> I'm just not one of those guys who are who are good at figuring things out, solving problems. I get things done. I, I can figure it out a little. I just built woodshed behind my house. It ain't the prettiest woodshed, but it's a woodshed, and it'll keep the wood dry and out of the snow. 
So that's me. I'm the guy who's like, good enough. I can do it. I'm very good at like a couple of things. I'm very good at writing. Obviously, it's my natural gift, the gift God gave me. I think I am exceptional at that. And I'd be, I can admit it. You know, one of the other things I'm good at, can't talk about on the radio. And you'd have to ask my wife. <laughs> I was just saying. Uh, we all like to think so. Yeah. yeah. And other than that, I think that I, I, I'm a, pretty athletic guy like of course when i was young i was very very athletic and i could have actually played professional sports well i believe that you know i'm not saying i i think i could have been an navy seal but you never know i mean i you know i was very very athletic and i'm still pretty you know i'm 50 years old but if you looked at me you're like this guy ain't 50 and i'm in still pretty good shape i work out lift weights and i just try to say so i know i'm pretty good at that and i'm a good gift of gabber man i'm a good storyteller i can recount my own stories from my life pretty good and tell them in a entertaining way i can recount them and it's weird because I don't have the greatest memory, but like the events of my own life, I can remember them in pretty great detail. You know, I mess details up. Sometimes I'll say something that's wrong, say a name or time or a place are wrong. Because naturally, when you're telling a 40-year-old story or a 30-year-old story, whatever, on the fly, you're not scripted, you mess things up. But generally, I'm, I'm really good at storytelling. So that's my gift. Ultimately, I parlayed that gift into a writing because I say this all the time. I'm a storyteller masquerading as a writer. I mean, I, yes, I'm a writer, but I've learned how to write to tell my stories, the stories that I create in fiction. And that's the other thing about my life. Like, you know, I've, my, some things about my life have been called into question because there's no proof of them because you can't Google up my life. I was just a young thug, a tough guy, did a few minor things or some mob guys or whatever. But if I was going to make up lies about my own life and if I was going to make up like a backstory legend, I would have started with something way better you know what i'm saying i would have made myself like a cia operative or something you know what i'm saying if nobody knew if i started a youtube channel and said yeah i'm a former cia operative or whatever this whole the whole prison thing is just a, a backstory legend that the government put in place so if somebody googles me up they say oh this guy was a gangster and he was in prison when in fact i was a double agent i was in russia i was doing this i was doing i could make whatever up it could be anything but it wouldn't be a two-bit scumbag, that's for sure. But that's why I, I implore everyone to read my books. Because once you read my books, you're like, wow, this guy, is, his mind, it doesn't work like the rest of ours. He has a very special talent. That's all I got. The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing and always need to stick your fingers to test your blood sugar. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. Apply a discrete sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger sticks. If you are living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes and you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you might be eligible for a CGM through your insurance benefits. U.S. Med partners with over 500 private insurance companies and Medicare. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill your insurance. Call us today for a free benefits check. 800-235-2760. 800-235-2760. That's 800-235-2760. Hey, have you checked out Our Thing Apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live. Featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now, we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out OurThingApparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order. Make our thing your thing. 
So I'd like to welcome our flagship guest for our new show, Our Thing, 1010 The King, with myself and Bill Crooks, Larry Mazza, who's a friend of mine, friends with him six, seven years now. Super interesting story. Also an author of an amazing book, The Life, that's been optioned for a TV series. Very big players involved. Hollywood, big money, big players. I can't talk about it because they haven't done their press release. But Larry is a very fascinating character. He was formerly a made guy in the Columbus crime family. But he's got a really remarkable story. It's not like anything you've ever heard, which is the reason for the TV series. He was involved in the Colombo Wars in the 90s. But the really interesting part was he was like the right-hand man of Greg Scarpup. Some people don't know who that is. But if you do, they called him the Grim Reaper. Very dangerous guy. He was basically a hitman, a killer, a very, very bad guy. Then it turned out after like 30 years, the guy had been working with the feds. But the interesting thing is the feds allowed him to be on the street to commit murders and do all this crime because he was feeding little bits of information, little crumbs of information to the feds. So they allowed him. Larry never knew this. Larry was his young prodigy, this handsome young kid that he kind of brought into the fold in the mafia. Even more interesting is that, well, Larry ended up dating. I have no nice way of saying it. He ended up dating Greg Scarpa's one of his girlfriends, but he knew about it. Eh, crazy story. It's all in his book. You'll have to read the book. So I have Larry here and I want to introduce you, Larry. And then I want you to read an excerpt from your book so that people kind of have an idea of what you're doing. Larry, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much. Your intro is always off the charts. Uh, and I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Our pleasure, buddy. The one thing you got to know is, you know, he gave lots of information, but let's not forget that one historical event that got him in the door with the feds for Mississippi burning. If you saw the movie oh, yeah. where sure. the government needed the help, they needed somebody with the gumption or the balls, you know, if we could use that word on the air, to go down there and, and find out where the bodies were, because they would never found out without him. If anyone doesn't know that story, I encourage you to look it up. Mississippi yeah. burning, Greg Scarpa. Unbelievable. The feds went to a mobster and said, go down to these KKK, Ku Klux Klan yeah. guys, and basically make them tell you where they buried the bodies of these young people. They like were activists that they had murdered. And so he went down there with a gun and put a gun yeah. in their mouth and said, where are the bodies? He did maybe more than that. I heard he did the from the FBI's mouth unspeakable yeah. things to them. Yeah. yeah, I think he lured the guy out. He acted like he was going to buy a TV or something. Yeah, hey, help me that, carry yeah, this. That's all part of it. Yeah, and the rest yeah. is history. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah it's, wow. It's an amazing story, and that's when he got carte blanche to do whatever he wanted in the streets for the next, like you said, 30 years. Wow. Remarkable oh, yeah. story. And it's all in your book, man. That's the cool yeah. part. Amazing part. So I want to hear an excerpt from your story. There's things that you're not proud of, of course. Larry did 10 years in prison, and obviously there's parts of his life, that life that he has, you know, ashamed of. He's not proud of, but it happened. You know, it's okay for him to basically tell the story and how he turned his life around in the long term. But uh, if you like an action-packed, really wild mafia story, you got to read this book, man. Yeah. Incredible book. I would say this to elaborate on what you said. I am ashamed because as I grew and got smarter and wisdom and looking back, I'm ashamed that I allowed myself, a smart, decent young kid, mm -hmm. to get swept into this. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys said uh, they would have done the same. My own father said it. But I was the dummy that got swept into it. You know, I'm the one. So now when I was in the life and I learned to conduct myself a certain way, I can't be ashamed of that. Because now I was in the life and I had to be what I had to be. Then when the war started, I had no regrets. It was kill or be killed. And that's one of the lines I'm going to read, one of the parts. It's early on in the book. When you read the book, you'll see that we were out there literally 18 hours a day, driving around in different cars, different outfits, looking 
for our enemies to kill. They were looking for us. There had been a few shootouts. And this one came right after John Gotti had asked for a ceasefire. Greg Scarpa sent the message back to the Gambino family to mind their own business. This is our war, our family, and we have to do what we got to do. It seemed as though this day would be no different than all the rest. And totally unexpectedly, I was shocked at what I saw. I almost hit my head on the car roof. There's Nikki Black, I blurted out as I spotted his Toyota Land Cruiser. Nikki was with his nephew, Joe Tolino. They pulled up just across the street from the club. They were talking to someone from the car service, which Nikki had a piece of. Little did we know, the FBI had been tailing him all day. Well, Jimmy and I certainly didn't know. As we started to drive toward Nikki, he pulled away. Jimmy laid back just far enough, even pulling over for a second. Scarpa panicked, don't lose him. Jimmy knew what he was doing. Nikki pulled over to the right side of the street and parked about three feet from the curb. We had a fake siren in the window, and I believe to this day that Nikki saw it. I'll never know for sure, but I think he thought we were the law. Maybe he spotted the surveillance during the day. I believe this because he never turned to us as we rolled up on him. It made no sense that a man in his position in the middle of a war would not be concerned about a car pulling up directly alongside him. Jimmy rolled up slowly as Scarpa was fussing with his rifle. He had one bullet in the chamber and only had to release the safety catch. But Greg was getting old and slow in the mind. He was actually comical at times. He was getting confused with the two buttons. One was the safety and the other held the clip. Of course, he released the clip and left himself with just one shot. Jimmy did the best to give the old man time, but in fear of looking obvious, he made the move. Make it. I was just hoping you were ready, lad. I saw him falling all over himself trying to load the thing, Jimmy said to me later that evening. There we were alongside Nikki Black, the second most powerful guy on the arena side and Vic's first choice for counsel yet. I was so close to him, I could have smacked him in the mouth. Instead, I raised my riot control shotgun, which had 14 gauge double buck pellets in the chamber. I leaned out the window and pointed the barrel at the back of Nikki's Mr. Clean style head. The powerful shotgun blast entered Black's head just behind his left ear. The pellets burst through his head before exiting out through his face. Later, the cops told me they found his teeth across the street. Wow, man. Wow. The reason I picked that, it was the ultimate kill or be killed. My Uncle Albert, who is a dinosaur with the Plumbo family, was under Nikki Black for many, many years. He told my Uncle Albert, my mom's brother, I'm going to kill your nephew if he doesn't come over to our side. He made himself our number one target. We were lucky. A couple of days went by looking, and there he was. Yeah. And so I says, no regrets. I got him before he could fulfill his promise to kill me. Yeah. He was also, like I said, the second most powerful guy, and it caused a lot of cracks on the arena side. We were this close to winning that war. But of course, we all lost as the feds eventually rounded us all up. Yeah. But it was a major hit. It's in the top 10 in the New York Daily News hits of all time behind hits like uh, Albert right. Anastasia. Albert Anastasia is the first big one. Uh, the other one is Paul Castellanos in the top Joe two Gallo. or three. Yeah, yeah, Joe Gallo. And that's that one's up there. But I could see, like, I, I know you. You're a friend. I've known you for years now. We're, we're intimately, you know, friends. And, and I can mm -hmm. see, and we've had conversations. I can see, even as you read that, 
you know it was a war and just like if we send kids in america off to war that are trained to fight mm -hmm. you know, this is a war this is our enemy and they go do it it's still taking the life of somebody so even though yeah. you, even if you read it i can tell there's still a kind of a, a, a that struggle within of like of Man, I, did this. I did this I, I, it's not good but on the other hand, to justify what you said, mm -hmm. is it was a war. And it was he, he yeah. already said he's going to kill you. So if you don't kill him first, he's going to kill you. And that's what anybody yeah. would have done. Any real man, any soldier, well, in any way, any would have soldier. done the exact same thing. Well, it's funny you said that. I just did a show about maybe a month ago for a company out of Canada that they brought a psychiatrist that wanted to get in the mind of a person that was able to kill or able to do that. I use that same example. I said, it's not the act. It's the reasons. Sure. Can you justify the reasons? The act, if I went to the army, I'd probably be a, a top sniper, maybe with more uh, notches under my belt, whatever they call it, than the rest of the soldier, because I'm going to do good at what I do. Uh, if that's what my position was in the army, I'd probably be a hero or dead. Yeah. That's how I feel about myself. I was in a different kind of war. So it's Three not... More. Right. So if I, if I had done it for the army, all the people around yeah, would say it's okay. And I told her, I says, it, it doesn't say if you want to bring religion into it, thou shalt not kill except in Iran or Iraq or when you're fighting some, you know, Arab terror. Then it's okay. Yeah. He doesn't say that. He just says thou shalt not kill. So it's man-made decisions as to when it's okay or it's not okay. And I'm not saying mine was okay in the grand of scheme of things, but the act is one thing and the reasons are another. How about this? Who would you have more respect for? I know some people are hunters here. You have more respect for a guy that goes and kills an endangered elephant just to take his tusks? Yeah, no. And then they put pictures and they hang up the elephant in their room. I mean, I, I dislike that guy more than I oh. dislike a gangster that killed a rival gangster. I agree. I yeah, agree. I think you know, or go kill a tiger or a lion. You know, a deer hunting's different. I know it's food and it, they're going to die anyway. Whatever. But to just go kill a, a helpless. I would never know. kill a lion. I would never kill any predator whatsoever. I'm not a bear, right. not a lion, not a cat, nothing. I love those type of animals. Right. They're not prey animals. Right. And I will be I, first to admit, I would have done what you did. So I don't want you to think like, listen, if no, I would I know. Shoes, I would have done exactly the same thing. So. Sure. I think the argument could also be made that the bosses that are sending soldiers into war are equally or more corrupt than mm -hmm. even your boss yeah. was. Or accountable, right. equally yeah. accountable. And then how about the same government that's going to arrest me was giving him the approval and the okay right. and giving us information of where yeah. my enemies were. We were getting addresses from the government. They knew Scarpa was killing people. Of they were course. aware of that. And they let him get away with it because he was feeding them little crumbs and morsels of information mm -hmm. about various mob guys, which is the most evil thing of all. You know, you leave yeah. a sociopath on the street, a straight sociopath on the street. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So I don't and, find you at a fault at yeah. all. Plus, you did 10 years in prison, man. Yeah. That's not yeah. a little bit of time, bro. That's a long no. time. But let me, let me move forward and say yeah. you turned your life around. You got out. You, you got married. It created a beautiful life for yourself. You're a sports mm -hmm. handicapper. You counsel an offshore sports book. Yeah, and you're an amazing sports handicapper, and you uh, built a beautiful life and, and kind of redeemed yourself. Y your father, everybody, I know you lost your father, and like, you were his hero, and he was your hero. So I'm saying he forgave right. you, and I think it's all like you redeemed yourself. Ultimately, mm -hmm. your life has been redeemed, and you come around. You wrote this book. It's doing really well. I know there's going to be a TV series that – I know it's being made, but I know when it hits the screen, it's going to be a classic. It's going to be better mm -hmm. than The Sopranos, in my I opinion. I, I read the pilot script. Oh, yeah? 
Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's oh, good because the guy who wrote smooth. it is a it's smooth. One of the best it's smooth. It just gets you from where you want to be to a, an ending that people are going to go like this, and you meet the right people, and so many avenues to go in directions. No, it's it's the stars finally aligned. Yeah. Aligned. Remember, we used to say that it yeah. takes years and years and years. You know, you've been places. Now you with Armand. I was with Armand. I was with Madsen. I I was with De Niro, Scorsese, Pelleggi, Terry Winter. Joe Paletta, all these different people, and it still took all these years, you know. But here but we you are. Believe. So, we believe. Yeah. We've always yeah. believed, and so. we never quit. We nope. never quit, and that's mm-hmm. part of the reason you able to redeem yourself and make a good comeback and be productive is because you persevere. Yeah, exactly. He squared perseverance. Well, actually, patience and persistence. That's it, and hard work, man. You got to. That's what I have hanging up at the gym. He squared. But also, you know, talent is very valuable. You can't overlook talent. You know, you have talent and you're really charming and charismatic. The people that you meet, these big shots, the Nero and all, they love you because you're a funny, interesting, charismatic guy and your story is just remarkable. You can't remove that. So if you take all that and mix it with hard work and perseverance, you're going to win. You're going to get it made. Bill, before we go, is there anything you want to ask him before we like tell people where you can find his book and stuff? Yeah, there's a couple things. I think it'd be interesting to hear in your words how you got into the mob, because I don't think it's the usual way, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, uh, Alan touched on it. I was just a college kid getting ready to go into college. I had a few jobs. One of them was in a supermarket. And I happened to, one of my jobs was as a delivery boy. I would deliver to the houses. I was not even 18. I was like 17 and a half. And I started delivering to this one woman who was lady girl. She was only about 30, 31, very attractive, very beautiful. And a romance, you know, at first it was seduction on her part. Then, you know, I realized what was happening. It's not that I was, you know, 12. I mean, I was, you know, 17, 18. I understand. I have to add, if you don't know uh, what he looks like, he's a super handsome guy. So Larry's very good looking young guy. You can imagine a young, handsome stud. This woman. Listen, just saying. uh, That's that's a tremendous compliment. Thank you. Whoever believes that, thank you. But (laughs) we did develop an incredible close relationship. Ultimately, uh, she wanted to introduce me to her husband. And to fast forward a bit, when I got closer to him, he told me that he had two other wives and two other families. So me being with his third wife, he was 20 years older. Greg was 20 years older than Linda. So I think I made his life easier. When he was out with the other two, at least he knew she was home, happy, content. Did you content. know who he was by this point? Did you know he was a killer and a gangster? Or No, at the beginning, I had no idea. Even when she told me you know, he was influential, she started giving me hints. I was too naive. I, I, yeah. What am I going to even think? I mean, right. I, I could never think that. But then when I got the job with the supply company and I had to go to the club every day and I saw these guys all dressing like him, all kissing him, literally, and hugging him and, mm-hmm. you know, showing the respect. If he gets up, they get up. If he sits down, they sit down. You know, I, I, you know, I, I caught on right away. That's when I went into a paranoid mode where I knew yeah. I had to end it with her. She didn't want to hear it. So ultimately, she told him about it. And that's another story. When he told me he knew how I didn't get up and run and i told him i knew you know uh you know God. only an idiot could you, imagine that, Bill? Could you yeah. imagine that conversation at that moment 
No, oh, and it's God. so anti every mob movie we've ever seen, right? Like Tony's yeah. whipping some guy because he slept with a goo ma that he broke up with a year ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, you, you know, listen, that's the way it is. There's a lot of ego, you know, and it's it's that one in a million thing that can happen that this all was able to happen. You know, it's yeah. it's crazy. That your cat's funny. making that noise. You hear her in the back. What's hey? Tell them the name of your cat, Larry. Uh, my first cat is Sally Tessio. It's a girl. <laughs> so the second cat we got, we named Sunny Corleone. It's also a girl, so it's spelled S-U-N-N-Y. <laughs> so we, Kelly's calling her now, Sunny. Yeah. She's yeah. she's looking to get in this room. I got a broke door. Yeah, she misses her daddy. Yeah. Hey guys, yeah. we're down to six minutes. So the other thing I'd like to hear, Larry, a lot of people yeah. probably don't realize you were in the Irishman, right? I was. I was. A bunch of the ex-detectives who were on the task force on my case working with the feds uh, read my book. They all liked me. We got along well. The cops were good guys. The feds are a little different. So they're all retired all these years later, and they worked for De Niro, private security. And Alan was there in the city when it all started oh, happening. Yeah. And I get he went this and had from- dinner with Scorsese and De Niro yeah. while we were in New York at BookCon. He's like, I got to go. I'm like, where are you going? We're in the middle of this freaking event. He's like, yeah. I'm going to have lunch with De Niro and Scorsese. I'm yeah. like, are you kidding me, bro? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he uh, De Niro asked them if they knew anyone from the old life that could help with technical stuff, consulting for the Irishman. He wanted it to be real authentic. Right. So they all said me. And then he called for me. I went there. I met him. A few days later, as Alan knows, I was invited to, I, I didn't know where I was going, but it wound up being Martin Scorsese's house. He had all the casting directors there, and all they did was listen to me talk. And then they filmed me talking. And then another time they filmed me. So they were filming me for other people to get the drift of how someone would act in different yeah. conditions. And they wanted a part for me, but ultimately I wound up, well, you know, a small part, but it got made smaller because the hit scene where Anastasia jumps up and runs through the mirror, they had to do it like 40 times and they had to keep replacing the mirror and stuff. So finally they says, all right, we just walk in and you hear the gunshots and, uh, you know, and then they, you see the wreath, the funeral wreath. So everybody knows he got killed, but it still was an incredible experience. My wife, Kelly got to watch Drew Scorsese's camera. So that was pretty cool. We did that scene 40 times. I mean, just some poor bastard had to run his head into a mirror 40 times. Yeah, yeah. So, and but finally they found one that they liked and uh, whatever. Uh, but it still it opened so many doors. I got into another part where I played in a perfect murder. I played a corrupt ex-cop that was suspected of murder, and I worked for Tony Spilatro, who is, as you know, Joe Pesci's character in Casino. Casino, yeah. And it's a true story. So it's open doors, and like I said, it's just kept going, getting better and better. And I was at the Golden Globes. I was at the Oscars. Not in the room but yeah, at the party yeah. if they had won the po- i would have been at the table with these guys you know or in their presence well, but they now they're going to want to be in your presence larry because when let's your hope. series gets made let's hope they're they going to be like they're going to be calling you bro i think the Nero's going to want to play junior Persico. i put that in his ear a few years back he may be <laughs> and and they're all and the group that's all together with the writer and stuff this whole group they're all tight so it could happen that would be amazing man. yeah so. well yeah. Listen, and my book is still, I'll just say, my book is still at www.larrymazza-thelife.com. Every book still gets signed by me. Now, when the story gets on TV, some big publishing company may come knocking at the door, yeah. and I don't know if I'll be signing them anymore. So, yeah. 
Get, get your signed edition right now. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're, we'll put this on Facebook too and stuff and put the links in there and, and we're going to make sure we promote it properly. But you don't really do social media anymore, do you? Well, I, I got off, as you know, because of uh, political reasons, not to get involved in all the nonsense. Because, you, you know, you shouldn't make enemies with your opinions, but you do. So it's best I don't go on and keep my mouth shut so nobody knows what I'm thinking. But I'll come back with a frenzy someday and a fury. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, well you'll be back in a fury yeah. sooner than people think yeah. this project That's goes right. off i know the people behind it that you're working with the biggest in the business the biggest so this is going to blow up they're going to be promoting this guy all over he's going to be morning television network television you oh guy's going to be freaking everywhere he's going to be a superstar so pay attention to the larry mazza story called the life based on his book it's going to be freaking better than sopranos amazing story thank you larry for always showing up well, coming listen. on and you know, it's my pleasure for you. I do anything. And William, Bill, now for you, same thing. Just give me a call anytime. And we can do a part two if you want. You know that. That's awesome. We will. Oh, we're definitely going right. to do that. We're definitely going to. We can get into some more of the micro stuff of the street life. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's kind of what I know, you know. Yeah, we can pick another excerpt out. Yeah. To start yeah. off and go from there. Sounds good. All, All right. right it's always awesome. Larry, you're a class act, man. We always so, Well, thank you very much. We'll, we'll talk soon. Alan, right. love you, buddy. Talk love to you. Love you too, buddy. God bless my best to Kel. You got it, Maria, too. And stay the course. You know I will. Well, that's our show. I just wanted to introduce everybody to our show. In, in future shows, Bill will be doing more talking. I just want to kind of be the intro guy and the voice of the show. But Bill's going to be talking about True Crime Corner, where he's going to be helping me interview these authors and guests, because we discuss hot topics, things like that, anything that's in the news and fun to talk about. But generally, we're going to have guest authors on, celebrities, actors, entertainers, producers, anyone like that, who we think that you'll enjoy on our thing and if you don't know what our thing is it's a euphemism for the mafia but that's just a double entendre really it's just our thing this is what we do it's mine and bill's thing it's your thing too if you tune in and you want to hear a couple of interesting stories because i'm always going to share a little anecdotal story about my life they're pretty gangster some things will be crazy you're like wow but you know other things could be anything and bill will bring in some stuff about what's happening in the underworld in the world we'll talk about the subject of the podcast and whatever and then we'll just catch you up every week so Hopefully you tune in and check us out and make sure to check out Partners in Crime podcast also. Make sure to check out my books, To Be a King, volumes one and two on Amazon. I'm on social media, uh, author Gunnar Allen Lindblom, and then on Instagram, The Real Gunner Detroit. Check me out. My YouTube channel is Gunner Detroit. Make sure to check that out. And yeah, Bill, you got anything to add? Yeah, check us out. 9 a.m. Same place, same station. Okay, cool. Cool. God bless. Everybody have an amazing week. This has been a presentation of Our Thing. Past episodes can be viewed at Our Thing Radio on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever podcasts are consumed.